This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. This podcast is made in collaboration with the Jewish Journal. Check them out at jewishjournal.com. Also in collaboration with Arutz Sheva, israelnationalnews.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit 2njb.com slash donate. In Israel, every year, 20 women on average get murdered by a family member. It might seem a relatively small number for an American, but in a country of 9 million, it's a lot. The vast majority of these women are PC trigger alert from Arab families, but definitely not all of them. Only recently, Israeli society was shaken by a horrendous murder of a mother and her baby by her father, and they were, on paper, the perfectly normal Israeli-Jewish family. In the world, Israel is known as the only democracy in the Middle East, a torch of light amidst an ocean of cultural darkness, a country of gay pride parades, innovation, and enlightenment. But when it comes to women, we need to ask ourselves, is Israel a feminist country? To try and answer this, we're joined by Yara Kohen today. Yara is a board member at Politically Koret. Koret translates to She Reads, an organization that tries to shed a feminist perspective on everyday texts, which we read in the newspaper and online. We're super thrilled to be joined today to have Yara Kohen on the show today to talk about the tough tough uh, topic of feminism. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. You can look at us, not at the camera. <laughs> so, no, Israel, so Israel... Is, I had to. Waiting for that joke. Is Israel a feminist country? Wow, that is a complicated question. Um, I would say that on one perspective, we are a you know, Western democracy and we have the same very progressive feminist issues of a country that's sort of generally has equality but then under the surface you have all these different underprivileged groups that are still facing sort of the first um the first level of just having women have a voice and allowing women the basic equality and sort of having um very different struggles within each of those communities but Which also groups, for example so for example um ultra orthodox here in israel um arab women both palestinian and israeli arabs um and Bedouin, especially. And Bedouins, absolutely. Um, we also have various immigrant groups, um, and that sort of brings us to like intersectionality, where you have um, different struggles within different communities that intersect together with the feminist issues. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of an overview. Um, it's a very difficult thing to say. One thing about Israeli feminism, I would also say that another two important tenets of Israeli feminism. One is that we are in a militaristic society. Um, the fact that we're such a young country means that everyone remembers the wars that we had founding the country. And they're still a very big part of Israel. And therefore, when you're looking for a leader or you're looking for a leadership figure, you sort of imagine that person as a retired general. And obviously there are less women like that. And maybe that's why we don't have as many prominent women politicians. Um, not that that situation is any better in Western democracies other than Israel, but that is definitely one of the main as, reasons here. As many as men, you mean? Yes, not as, as many, many as, men. as other countries. But no, not as many as other countries. I think every country has their own challenges. That is one of our unique ones. But there are now women fighters in the IDF. Yes, but it will take a while for there to be women who are generals. Um, my favorite metaphor in that sense Um, you know, a lot of people like to debate nature versus nurture when it comes to women. I don't think that's an interesting debate because, you know, biology is what it is. You can say there are differences. You can say that there aren't. You can say that the differences are significant. I think our responsibility and where we should be focusing the conversation is about equal opportunity and general societal progress. So you can say we don't have a responsibility to do anything about equality for women. And then it will just take until 2,200 until we reach equality. I think that's sort of a random... Um, estimate that somebody came up with regarding the Western world, not even Israel specifically. But I don't even think that that's true because I think that there are countercurrents and sort of backlash that's coming. And we can see a lot of that in the US with sort of populism and alt-right movements that a lot of the progress is being overturned. Things like Roe versus Wade that people took for granted in the US are being overturned. And in Israel, you have 
not entirely parallel, but sort of some similar backlash as well. So what I'm trying to say with this is we do have a responsibility to progress women in Israel, both in the basic level of representation and of voice. And that is a lot of what we're trying to do um, at Politically Correct or PC um, with an S, which is sort of a play on like visibility and voice, but also on um, PC culture and sort of what voices we allow and what taboos we have in as a society. Um, long story short, my metaphor, um, football leagues. Why are men's football leagues so much better than women's football leagues? We can easily say it's a matter of biology, but I think the more interesting explanation is when you're, you know, take a country of Israel, nine million people. Let's say half of those are men. Of those 4.5 million men, or, you know, a given year of like seven-year-olds, you have 100,000 seven-year-olds who play football after school. They play after school, then they go to a club, then they join the league, and you have 100,000 kids playing football. So obviously, when they're 18 and you need to pick for teams, you have 100,000 kids to choose from. At that same age, how many women do you have? How many little girls do you have who are playing football after school? 10,000, maybe? No wonder that at the end, you know, the, the choice that you have it's going to be slim pickings. Here we but, go. Okay. Here we go. So, <laughs> okay. But, I hear that you like to have uh, diverse perspectives on your show just so that you can naturally ask uh, no, annoying like, questions. No, annoying. <laughs> I haven't even asked it yet. You're already calling me annoying. Um, She's done some I think my girlfriend would agree with yeah. you. <laughs> no, but um, I, I, uh, we do like having diverse perspectives. <laughs> and ask annoying questions. And ask annoying <laughs> questions. You're absolutely accurate. No, but uh, I... I what I'm trying to wonder is what, what's the because to me it sounds like you're talking a lot about equality of outcome and not equality of opportunity. Meaning, I don't think there's anything stopping Israeli girls from playing soccer and pursuing that if they want. But it seems to me just kind of a natural inclination, maybe that more men will, uh, you know, will kind Find. of veer towards towards physical sports and towards playing soccer. Than, uh, than and beat, women. E beat each other up in football. So I think that that's sort of where we can lose the metaphor and talk about our social responsibility. But because what I'm trying to say is that when it comes to politics, when it comes to come, film, come a bit nearer. Oh, yeah, sorry. there we go. Um, when it comes to politics, when it comes to representation, when it comes to voice, when it comes to shaping our society, it's not just about you know where are the women prime ministers, where are the women party leaders, because it starts so much earlier than that. And when you're looking, for example, I recently worked on a project about um, women's representation in government. And we had round tables with uh, members of parliament from different parties. And one of them said, you know, it starts with the free time because women are expected in Israel. And I think that this is something that sort of goes way back to, you know, the founding of the state of Israel, where women and men were equal in building the state together. But then, you know, women go home and are still responsible for the kids to a greater level. So you're coming home and but you're you doing... don't have to make children. But do you? I'm not talking about on the individual level. I'm talking about what society expects. And I think that in Who cares Israel... So that's a very privileged point of view to say that you don't care what society What's, expects. First of all, I don't recognize the word privilege. You don't recognize the word no. privilege. That's a privilege. This is going to be a very interesting uh, point of contention. No. Here. I think I think it's a made-up concept. No, but I mean, you have to agree that if we want society to continue... Like, as a, a like extremist Adam... Like, if, if you want society to continue, then people need to have babies. I mean, if, if you're okay with humanity yeah. ending tomorrow, then I don't even no think that. Yeah, to. I think but, that having that hypothetical discussion is something that, like, we can sit in the comfort of this lovely apartment and have. But I think that in real life, um, women and you know, especially underprivileged communities are under a lot of pressure and expectation of like that is what success looks like. Um, having kids, yeah, isn't that success though? It could or it couldn't be. And I think that feminism I mean, is very much about your, choices. You're proof that, not necessarily, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that many people will agree with me that feminism is very much about having choices. Um, I do think, though, that sort of the more um, controversial part of it is also about having responsibility um, and looking at society as a whole and sort of understanding the directions that we're moving in. And not saying, okay, I'm going to personally make a decision whether or not to have kids or I'm going to personally make a decision whether or not to play football 
or whether to be a member of parliament and all of that is fine but to look at the result and then try to reverse engineer sort of how that happens but that's what i'm saying that's that seems to be the opposite of equal opportunity that's equality of outcome that's saying let's try and reverse engineer so i think that equality of outcome is a lagging indicator i don't think that it is what we need to tackle i don't think that is the it's the solution i think that that is the indicator for us to say okay here's something what's going wrong like let's look back is there maybe an issue here yeah well that's what maybe there's an issue here why is it wrong why is it wrong for there to be not enough representation in government for women specifically or in general no in football let's stick with football no, no so football is very much a metaphor to, yeah. okay football is very much a metaphor my no. point is that if in you government, have an equal it is, starting in government points, it is a problem the thing is though nobody promises you that whatever you do you'll change it necessarily no you yeah, might wait, that, wait, that's wait, just wait, a general a uh, pessimistic uh, sorry of the world. is it a problem look in the knesset what is it now like 25 percent no because let's let's hold on hold on let's talk about whether or not it's a problem in the most simple way because if we say there should be 50 percent representation of women and men there should be equal representation of women and men Let's first of all we can votes. talk well, no first of all we could talk about uh different we could we could split that up into endless subcategories of race and gender and whatever and socioeconomic level but let's just say we need equal representation of women and men in uh whatever governing body we have then you're going to require that there are 50 percent of each gender in the government. Let's say it's 50 or 50. But you're Hold not on. talking but, well, about policy. No, but what I'm saying is then you have a situation in which it doesn't matter if someone got more votes, right? This is the problem with equality of outcome. It doesn't matter if you're dictating. We got it, really, really fast on like, the fall <laughs> of democracy. <laughs> no, but that's what I'm saying. It, it seems to me that I didn't talk that about that's methods. What, I just talked about it as an indicator, but can, but can as we, a wake-up call, as something that tells you, okay, Let's take a look at our society. Let's understand the forces um, in general. I will say that I'm an outlier in feminism in Israel and feminism in general. And I do have a somewhat libertarian perspective of economics in general. I don't think that the state is necessarily the most competent change maker. But I do think that specifically with representation and with many other things, it is an indication that something is wrong. It is so an you're... indication that our society is unequal that it privileges some people some people's perspectives some people's life story over others for example what i was saying about male leaders you know when you're at a state of constant war in israel and just factually there's been a war every other year um in the last few decades then yeah you expect your leader to be a militant leader and for that person to you know and when you recognize um assertiveness as a positive tenant for men and as a negative tenant for women who are seen as aggressive or bitches then you're not going to have women leaders so let's talk about psychology let's talk about you know shaping how we view our leadership i'm not saying what the methods need to be i'm just saying that it's an indication but, that our society is still unequal but the thing is i happen to to know some very prominent women in politics in israel and and i worked with some of them too and I can tell you that, yes, it's it's very hard to be a woman in politics. But if you want to be a woman in politics, then you can do it. That's like, a really disappointing answer. I'm sorry. No. It, but but why? that's exactly because you're treating women as a minority. Women are 51% of the population in Israel. And it shouldn't be about, if you really want to, it's possible. We as a society should be held accountable for misrepresentation because that is to you know, saying something bad about our society that it doesn't enable people. But shouldn't we, I mean, if women are 51% and men are 49, shouldn't I, we be happy that a, a minority is so, <laughs> is so well represented? Don't troll her, Eitan. <laughs> no, no touche. I think that's a great answer. <laughs> no, I think we're going to move on from representation because yeah, I think there are more endless. Israel specific uh, no, topics. No, but I, I think it's, it's uh, I don't know. It's worth mentioning that, that it is possible like for women to become a mayor in Israel, a member of Knesset in Israel. Yes, it's it's hard. It's very hard. Or a minister. It's hard. It's absolutely possible, minister. but why are and the also stake, prime minister? Why the requirements and I think that this is relevant for the US as well. You know, the day in which mediocre women will be able to get half as far as mediocre men, that's the day that you know, my wish for feminism is for it to end up like the anti slavery movement. A really, really great story. They want reparations now, don't they? 
So it should be a really great story about how change happened. And now it's just not something that still exists because it doesn't need to exist. But this is my problem with the intersectionality approach is that to me, it seems to put a focus on arbitrary physical uh, traits above. It seems to be a step back ab above ideologies, above abilities, ide not ideologies, ad ideas above values instead of saying, I mean, as long as we're living in a free society, who cares like if we have an exact representation of skin color, gender, and I mean, as long as the people that I'm that we have in power are promoting values of equality and values of uh, of respect for one another, then what does it matter what you know they have between their legs or what the color of their skin is? It seems almost like I'll give you the short answer to that, and then I'm going to take this to where I'm going to go. Okay. I think the short answer <laughs> is that when you belong to the majority group, you don't see the difference. But when you are part of a minority group or an unrepresented group or a group that doesn't just get the mic as often, then you feel the difference. And I think that it's just a very human thing to not really understand how our world could be any different. And that sort of is what I would actually like to talk about, about how we can envision a world that looks different and how we can bring that change, because that is very much okay. the focus of our project as a feminist news so organization. I, let's let's focus on, on, on Israel if we can. And let's talk about these two groups that you mentioned, the Haredi and the Arabs, okay? Because when I read the whole, like when you read the stories here in Israel every, every few months about uh, another woman who was murdered by her husband or brother in Arab society mainly, and then uh, people like girls from organizations like yours come on TV and say, we got to do things, we got to educate and stuff like that. And I think to myself, like you can educate, like you can put tens of millions and hundreds of millions. But at the end, if, if these people, these murderers are coming from the house they came from, the education in their home, their parents, you cannot change that. You know what I'm saying? So is it, is it, does it make any sense? How can you change the way your parents bring you up? This is a section we call Naor's pessimism. I call it racism. But <laughs> why? we can call it pessimism as well. Why, why is it racist? Ouch. To say that people from underprivileged communities where the police is not involved and doesn't solve murders or enforce the law are more likely to be subjected to violence oh, from that goes within their for, own community. That also goes for Jewish uh, murderers, like the, like the family now that we mentioned. So in the end, someone... So I think let's tell that story for okay. a minute just to give context to our listeners. Um, we at PC, at Politically Coet, have been covering quite, for quite a while um, these murders that we classify as gendered violence. Um, gendered violence is a blanket term for honor killings, for domestic violence, sort of all those things together that come to say you are being killed or you are being victimized because you are a woman. And as a result of your place as a woman in patriarchal society and the way you are seen as somebody's property, as something that could be... Um, sort of used to send a message or punished to be kept in line. And we choose to use this term, something that isn't unique to Israel, um, in order to frame these stories and sort of build a picture of the entire spectrum of the damage that is done in these situations and that it's not just about one community and it's not just about underprivileged communities. And that, to me, is sort of an entirely different aspect of intersectionality. We're sort of breaking that apart. We're not saying, you know, you are underprivileged because you're from a weak immigrant community or you're underprivileged because you're from the Arab community that doesn't get as much resources or as much police enforcement. You are a woman and you are treated as a woman in each of these different situations, whether it's, you know, in a very patriarchal society and whether it's in a super Ashkenazi family that, you know, could be any one of us. Um, and that really is the story that was told just now. Um, Michal Sela, um, a social worker from a small town near Jerusalem, was murdered brutally by her husband. Um, and that was sort of and what her, struck... And the... And the and, uh, no, the child wasn't murdered, actually. No, that was... See, yeah. <laughs> there are yeah, so many sorry. of these stories, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. hard to keep track, unfortunately. Um, Thank God, the child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The child, so the child survived. No, so the children are now, um, I think, in custody. Yeah, with, the, with the aunt. Yes. So there's actually a more recent story of another woman who 
to her disadvantage is called Maria. So she's not seen as much as sort of everyone's child because she doesn't have a Jewish name. Um, and she was murdered by her husband as well. And right now her kids are in the custody of her husband. Um, so there are a lot of these terrible stories. And what we seek to do in Politically Coet, in the way that we tell these stories, is to connect them and build a story. Because once you give something a name and once you recognize the forces behind it, then it's not just one sad story that you'll like turn the page and forget about. It's something that has a name and it's something that we as a society have a responsibility for and have a, something that we can do about it. And so what we've done um, we created a hashtag campaign, hashtag Haiti Sham, I've been there, where women talk about their personal experiences, either firsthand or something that they've witnessed of domestic violence, of, you know, honor killings, um, because it's not just about that moment when it gets to murder and it gets to the news. It's about what happens leading up to it and sort of recognizing that domestic violence and gendered violence is something that could hit any community, even the privileged ones, even the places, you know, behind all those shut doors to sort of be more comfortable airing out these stories and giving it a name. Um, and these are things that have finally reached mainstream media um, and sort of there's always terrible things going on. But when you manage to surface enough stories like these and enough um, of a communal voice that this is something that is really affecting everyone and therefore needs to be changed now. And unfortunately, when it was, you know, just women from underprivileged communities and when it wasn't about the entire spectrum of domestic violence, there were no resources for this. There was a plan. There was um, a government research project done about this and there was a plan and they said exactly how much money they need for shelters for women. And that money was just never allocated. Um, so I really hope that we'll be able to bring change to that at some point soon mm -hmm. because you know more women are dying every day and that in my um, perspective is one of the bigger things that we've managed to do as politically correct um, and it's sort of kind of the way that the story of me too was told across social media sort of bringing a story from my individual story somebody else's individual story and then connecting them with one framing hashtag with one framing you know talking about giving giving something a name saying this is sexual harassment and it is not okay and even if it was a grayscale story it's still something that's worth being discussed and even if it was something that is embarrassing and uncomfortable and shameful um those in the end that shame is used to make people shut up and make people not talk about their stories and not bring them wait wait wait, to, wait 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 yeah. wait wait okay we gotta we gotta go back to my question before we move forward because we we didn't because you know i read and you say we as society and i read in one of the, the of one of the websites that 80 percent of the men who either murder or are violent uh, in israel or generally i don't know uh 80 of them had suffered violence you know this this uh, yes. number right so which means they suffered violence as, as, as kids probably in the family from their parents so how am i responsible as or as a society right if these children who became murderers, who grew up to be murderers uh were beat up as children in their homes or were badly educated by their parents how am i or as a society are responsible for that and what how can we change that in general, I believe that we all have a responsibility about the people around us and in making society better. Yes, it's absolutely a burden to believe that. Um, and I think that change happens gradually and we need to have the patience to look back and say, you know, these changes have been made in my lifetime and sort of recognize that things have changed. You know, all the gay rights that we have seen in our lifetime all over the world that really gives me hope that we could do the same thing with um with violence with abuse with sexual violence i really believe that this is possible and that we as a society can make that change but i don't think anybody like i don't think anybody is arguing that this the, the women who are being abused being murdered um the victims of this phenomenon are somehow illegitimate in their uh, desire to be free of... I of, think that of... there's a very long distance between legitimacy and responsibility. No, but but what I'm saying is I, I don't think anybody is saying that, okay, these that, that we don't... We shouldn't, like, 
police. We shouldn't look into the the uh, whoever is responsible for these crimes shouldn't be jailed or you know or tried and go through the legal system in whatever way. I mean, I don't think there's anybody who's arguing that that's not. I think the 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 debate here is between. Is, bet- is between debate. drawing a, a, a wider, uh, I think, is drawing a wider, uh, writing a wider narrative about Western society or about our society specifically because of these of these uh, incidents. What does it mean? I didn't. Meaning, I think the debate is not like, I mean, obviously, this is uh, this, this is not recognized as something legitimate in our society. Everybody sees this as a crime. These people should be. I mean, there are other societies, by the way. This, I, I don't think what I'm saying should that's, be taken that's for not true in uh, Arab society. No, so that's what I'm saying. For in, uh, in Israeli society, not in Jewish Israeli Jewish Israeli society. Okay, thank you. But in in is in is Jewish Israeli society, it's seen as there are other places in the world and also in our country where this isn't seen as necessarily bad. But I'm saying to draw the the to draw the the connection between these incidents and our society and Jewish Israeli society seems to me to be the debate. Where I, I don't see, <laughs> I don't see the connection. Okay. Okay. Between, it's basically what we've been saying. I don't see the connection between these incidents. And this this phenomenon and our responsibility. You're saying and, when an when an Ashkenazi woman is killed by her husband and when a Bedouin woman is killed by her husband, it's not the same thing. No, no it's but, exactly the same thing. No, I'm saying first of all, I if think. we look at the statistics of Ashkenazi women killed by their husband, I don't think that it's as big. Secular, but, secular. No, okay, but the methods as, of prevention as, have at least quite a lot in common. What do you mean? The methods of prevention have quite a giving women resources to leave abusive relationships. Yeah. I don't think it's as easy that's, to give women res- the resources in the Arab community. It's important, but that's here this this solution is mainly in the later in the process, right? Because by the time a woman needs it she's already in the marriage, she's already being beaten up and then she uses these facilities. But that's, but that's very exactly late. That's exactly what we tried to do in this campaign. First of all, to reduce the shame around these stories because talking about them and making people realize just how common they are is already a first level of a solution. Making people feel more comfortable and less ashamed to share their story early on when it's still grayscale, when it still seems romantic that he's being very controlling. Um, and okay. I think that sort of doing that and explaining that there is a very broad stre- spectrum of violence and control and abuse and that we should feel more comfortable talking about that and the different things that you can do about it and just having sort of awareness within different communities of what you can do, um, that's level one. Have you been seeing kind of uh, people responding to these campaigns? Like, has, has have, have women come forward? Have women talked? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Many women have come forward. And I'd actually like to draw the parallel between that and between the Me Too campaign and between um, the precursor to the Me Too campaign that we had um, on our page um, it was called More Than Bukhis, Yotermi Bukhis. Um, Ofik Bukhis was a decorated army commander who was charged with um, rape and assault of several of his female soldiers. And he got away with a very, very lenient plea deal. Now, you know, you can talk about how the legal system works, but in this case specifically, it was the army legal system, the military legal system, that very intentionally let him off easily. And it wasn't a debate so much about the way that the trial had progressed, it was more about, is this actually fair? Let's have a debate about this as a society. And what I'm really proud of is that we managed to create a conversation that wasn't just about, you know, sexual assault is something that women go through and therefore it should be on page six, um, but rather about violence is a bad thing. Um, Punishment is something that should be fair. Punishment is something that should be equal, regardless of your rank, regardless of your achievements, if you're a decorated army officer, if you are a war hero, it doesn't matter because you've done bad things and you should pay the price. And on the contrary, in Israel, where you have um, required service for everyone, every mother in Israel is sending her kids to be soldiers. And we want to know as After a society, mothers. every mother is required to send her kids as soldiers um, to be you know, at the mercy of these commanders. 
And I say at the mercy to the full extent because they are in charge not only of your day-to-day, but also by definition, commanders are responsible for their soldiers' welfare because this is sort of the army of the people. And you want to know that these commanders are being adequately trained and adequately punished and adequately held in check and responsible for their actions, not just in war, but also with regards to things like this, because things like this are just as important. But but the main, I don't know, I feel like the main issue, like these are all important struggles. And but and, and in some way, and that's, I know it's, it comes off not that nice to say, they're easier struggles in the sense that they don't tackle the huge issues of Arab, Bedouin, and Orthodox women. But wait, we're talking about now... Let uh, me just finish bullets. telling a, okay. about this campaign. Okay. So what we did with this campaign, um, and it was actually a lot of fun, is that different people on Facebook would share the ridiculous punishments that they received as soldiers because this is actually a very, very common experience because everyone in Israel went to the army and spent two or three years there and everyone at some point did something stupid that they got a ridiculously harsh punishment for. Mm -hmm. You know, forgetting your water bottle and just not walking around with a water bottle and getting an extra two hours when everyone went home for Shabbat to see their parents. And that was still hashtag more than Bukhis. That was still more than the very minor demotion that what he was, got okay. for assaulting and raping his female soldiers for whom he was responsible um, because he got a very, very lenient punishment. And sort of creating this conversation, and that I think is our achievement here, that wasn't just about, you know, these feminist niche issues back in 2016. It was definitely more of a niche but more about fairness and more about equal punishment and more about how people should be menches and they should be punished when they break the rules in the same way, whether you're a decorated officer or whether you're just average Joe. Yeah, so I think what, what I would take issue, and I don't know the Buchlis, uh case in depth, but what I would take issue with is that this idea that like when you were describing it, you said you know that our mothers were sending their children to the military um you know, to be at the behest of these commanders. Uh, and it sort of paints a picture like all the commanders in the IDF are some, you know, uh, rapist, I don't know, uh, uh, patriarchal, misogynistic pigs. And what I'm saying is I think we need to deal with the issues when they arise and we need to deal with them partanit. Uh, we need to deal with them specifically. And you, it could be that the Bukhli's case wasn't dealt with appropriately um, and it could be that really he fell through the cracks or he was not punished accordingly. It could be that the army, uh, uh, I don't know, who the, 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 the prosecutor in the army fudged the case. And I don't know, the, you know, they didn't they didn't manage it properly. But we need to deal with these issues, you know, instead of trying to paint this picture that, I don't know, all men are. That feminists are ruining it for everyone, Zionists included. How no, did they I, paint I, this picture? When, be, what do you mean? It seems like I to think me, it's, no, it I'd like to like actually the, give yeah. you a broader example, a broader answer to that. So one other thing that we did um, as part of that case. So yeah, absolutely, somebody did indeed come to that conclusion that you had. That the conclusion is, you know, we just shouldn't send our kids to the army, and the army, the Israeli army, is a vehicle for occupation. And what did you expect? For did you think? Did you really think? that the officers in the army of occupation would be menches. Um, silly girls, you shouldn't go to the army. And that was a real piece that we published um, because we do absolutely push the diversity of perspectives to the very limit, um, I believe, here in Israel. Um, and my response piece for that was, you know, you deserve more. Um, we deserve more as soldiers, um, which is sort of a play on words on a famous like army campaign for um, women soldiers deserve more in the army it's not about saying that you know here's one bad apple and you should just throw away the bunch it's about saying let's fix this because we care because we care about the Israeli army because we believe that it is a vehicle for good and important things and for keeping you know the people of Israel safe and that is why we want to hold it to the highest standards okay so, what so. can we do about about um, the Arab society and the ultra-Orthodox society? Because it seems that women there suffer a lot, and it's so hard to change this. For example, 
let's talk about the Bedouins. We, we mentioned them. In, in the Bedouin society, maybe our listeners don't know, women, uh, there's polygamy. And, uh, has, and a man can marry nine, 10, 12 women and have them have babies with all of them, live in his camp, and they serve him like a, like a king. So, like, how... I hope it's not racist to mention that. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fact. So what can we do about that? It's really interesting, the progression that we've had here from like, what do you mean? If there are no women football players, what does that have to do with me? If there were no women representatives, what does that have to do with me? But here you have cultural traditions of a specific society and you're saying, what are you, Yarakon, going to do about it? No, it's, it's <laughs> a, 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 because I think it's very hard. I, I believe it's maybe it's impossible to do something about it. But I, I wonder if you agree. So, I, I like to focus on the possible okay, and I like to enough. focus on what fair we enough. can do. So I will say that specifically to that end, one project that we have at the paper is telling the stories of inspirational women from different sectors. So for example, okay. in honor of Ramadan, uh, both this year and last year, we had a special project um, telling the stories of Muslim leaders in Israel, um, Muslim women leaders. And I think that that actually has a really significant um storytelling aspect that is also change making in itself because just being able to say wow there are really inspirational women in these communities and they don't all look the same and they don't all talk the same way and they have unique perspectives and sort of supporting them in their work rather than sort of doing a top-down approach i don't know what their community needs the best thing that i can do is to amplify their voices so okay. it, it, i mean it sounds like you do know you feel like these are the voices, these are the good voices in their communities and you want to amplify them. That's a lot. That's Yes, absolutely. Journalism is always theory laden and there's no such thing as objectivity. Um, I know that's not the question you asked, but I will say that as an organization, that's definitely something that we sort of face head on. And rather than have one central editor and one you know, a small set of writers who are sort of, you know, your average group of well-educated middle-class people living in central Israel who will then go out and tell the stories from a very foreign perspective of the things that are happening far from home. We tell the stories in first person. We have people from all different parts of society, women from all different parts of society, from different religious groups, from different ethnic groups, from different socioeconomic groups telling their stories and the stories of their communities. Do women in Israel get justice from the justice system when it comes to legal issues, murders, violence? I don't have a direct answer to that, but I can say in general that there is still a long way to go as far as the legal system is concerned with sexual crimes. Um, because there's still a lot, a lot of misunderstanding of the nature of these crimes and of how to deal with the PTSD that many victims have, um, as well as sort of handling the evidence in the hospitals. It's very often like botched and you can't make a case because the hospital didn't collect the evidence or collected it and threw it, and threw it out. Um, and that's very basic sort of factual things that I can just throw out there and say, here's something we should be changing right now if we had maybe more women representatives, then maybe more also people would care about this. Punishments in Israel are ridiculous sometimes. So that's also something yeah. I think is worth mentioning. And deterrents are, are important, I think, in the end. I, maybe that's something that's, I don't know. There is a sense that there is little rule of law in Israel. That I mean, not little, but that uh, often criminals get away with the crimes. In general, I don't think it is only uh, it is only uh, limited to sexual crimes. I think in general, many times criminals fall through the cracks. Um, I, I definitely don't have blanket statements to say about the Israeli criminal justice system, but I can say that we've seen recent cases of high-profile rapists who can't who come from money and come from good families and are just let off because of that, because the judge is lenient about that and you know, we need to have better sense of justice here. Mm -hmm. um, I think that in answer to your question from before, Naol, to talk about um, Haredi women, um, that's definitely 
huge, huge things happening in the ultra-Orthodox and in the modern Orthodox world as far as feminism is concerned because they're still sort of building the first um, part. And I think that here, more so than we do with the Arab society, we do have, I think, a responsibility um, as far as civil rights and democracy is concerned because we can sort of drop the ball and say, okay, here's an ultra-Orthodox party that is running for the Knesset and they don't have any women in the party at all. And we just let them be. And that is damaging to the women within those societies and to the liberal voices within those societies. And we can set the standard higher and say, that is non-constitutional. We have the power to do that as the liberal majority in Israel or the liberal soon to become minority in Israel due to demographic forces to say, we want to hold everyone to this standard. And that sort of answers your question from before of like, do we want to have top-down equality in representation? I think the answer is yes, at least to a certain extent. Um, so you would force ultra-Orthodox parties to have women in them by law? Yes. How many? I think that that's a longer process, but at the very least, 25%. Why 25? Because it's a step towards equality, but it still enables some kind of... Demo it's sort of a cross between equality and democracy don't you think what is choice. fucked up that that these parties are like they they don't won't let let women yeah but be i think this is them? what i was getting at to, to begin with i mean it's the fall of democracy what if they what if they don't get any votes those women who decides who they are who decides who the women Meaning are. you say we have to have 25 percent. i'm saying that that's so let's that say there's 15 time. let's say there's 16 25 percent is four there's no women, no women get votes. Who decides who those four women are? It's not. First of all, I'll have you know that we already have some party quotas for women in other parties yeah, in Israel. Could. It is a system that exists. Which you is have awful, reserved okay. seats for women in most of the parties. You have equal representation. It's also something that is very, very prominent across Europe. And by the way, in most of Africa and the Middle East. Yeah, but the prevalence of a bad idea doesn't make it a good idea. I'm just saying that in other places, it's not considered the worst idea for democracy. Yeah, no, I know, but I'm saying that like a good, a bad idea doesn't become a good idea because it's common or because people think it's a good idea. Become it's a good okay, idea. Okay. The question it's a good is, idea. if you are as a liberal bystander enabling um, a patriarchal, non-just community to not community, uh, representatives. Um, to misrepresent that community are you enabling that so i uh, i think that uh, then we're getting to the now we're getting to the issue which is the whole idea of patriarchy and whether or not you know how, first of all how you define it i i don't agree with the way that Haredi. i don't agree with the lifestyle of Haredis. i don't think that their value system aligns with mine but i don't think that i have the right to decide who they can vote for I mean, I don't. I, I can't force. You, but someone you do, to do decide. Something. But you do decide for the ultra right that some of their parties are not qualified. I don't think that that's legitimate either. What Itamal Ben Gvir? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think that that's. I don't know why Ben Gvir was. But when when, me, when some me, parties but, on the far far left. I mean, no, I don't even know if I would call them left because, like, in any normal western society the arab parties would be considered extreme right-wing parties but for some reason here they look, sit on the left side of the aisle but, but what i'm saying is that you can still define what your democracy the rules allows of the game for. like you yeah, can so say the, that the rules of the game the, i forgot what it's called there's the window of of of, of legitimate discourse yes that, and i think but what i'm saying is i think that we are shrinking it to a point that's like seems to me unacceptable i mean i can't tell people who to vote for no but you can say if your party discriminates against entire populations then you are not mm. allowed to run for the knesset what Why? would you do because what would you do if if uh, all parties lifted the women you know um, places uh, women's places in them and then for example the Likud would be a 99 men led and all the parties and the Knesset would be filled with men and you would have two women and for and for 
First decades. of all, I don't. I don't believe... actually think that that what would be that the case. Way. Yes, yeah. but what if? I don't if? think that what that if? process what is going to reverse. What if? No. So then what I'm saying is, totally what cool if? What if? If what you're saying is correct, then we have a completely skewed representation. People are asking for one thing and getting another. If you're saying that the actual case would be that 99% of representatives would be men because 99% of the population voted for men, and now we have 40 women, then what you're telling me is that the representative body of the state of Israel doesn't represent what the people are asking for. And that seems to me the fall of democracy. Well, I think that party specifically is a level that's beforehand because it's not required by law in israel to have open primaries for each party and i think that if you first of all one solution would just be to have open primaries yeah um and if you know had open primaries maybe you would have women representatives coming forward and maybe you would have people in those communities voting for those women but we will never know because we don't enforce that higher standard of democracy on these parties and i'm not saying that we necessarily should i'm just saying that the way parties are elected within the parties, I think we're getting we give them a lot of wait, freedom. Wait, wait, wait. I have a solution. great point. Yes. But Shas, for the listeners, Shas is the Mizrahi religious, but they're not as religious as the Ashkenazi. And they're famously more down to earth and and there and appeal to very non-orthodox voters. And there you have strong women, even today, famous women who are part of this movement like the daughter of Harav Ovadia. And in, Sha, in Shas, for example, and these women, they could have formed a party now. They could have done it. Nothing is stopping them from, from competing doing... within yes. their community. But that exactly but brings me back to what you were saying. They won't do it because they choose these women to, to devote or to, to, to give in to these primitive concepts that they come from you define it as primitive yes okay and i agree with you okay but those women are allowed to think that they're but not primitive the po- but those that's the, the point that's the that point they... but that's the point you, you, you see what i'm saying in shas these women they're strong they have social media and they tried they actually had a struggle there is a group called you know we don't get we don't get the opportunity to represent ourselves so we're not going to vote we're not going to vote for these ultra-orthodox parties even though yes we do belong to these communities and i think that that sort of is the big issue with representation it's not that i'm saying oh yeah let's just have a party of all women and then the women will vote for that party because that's only one of my identities and i want to be able to have options i and that again brings me back to sort of the very basic idea of what feminism about giving women option giving people options for different ways and different views and different manifestations but, of but their in options. parties women Haredi Mizrahi women could have given this chance to other women by forming a party and you know what I think I would vote for so a you're party them it's not, not the, taking it's responsibility not, I, I for this. think I think they have responsibility for example these specifically this group okay of Mizrahi Shas women because I would vote for that party I would vote for a party of, of, of Shas women, of Adina Bar Shalom. Really? Yes. Okay, well, that yes. sort of brings me Just to my next point. I think another issue in general is about attention because there is so there are so many things that are happening and then how do you get the attention of sort of the average liberal voter or the average liberal man for, for issues like this? And I think that a very... Um, sad example for that is sort of religion and state or what's considered church and state in israel that oh, is a very complex issue on. good okay <laughs> finally in minute so, 48 fun fact for our listeners israel is the only country in the world where a jewish marriage a halachic jewish marriage could in fact be a criminal offense with up to two years in jail time the chief rabbinate is in fact a monopoly um, on religion in israel to the point that if you write on something that it's kosher but it hasn't been approved by the Rabbanut itself, then you could be sued in the same way that you're sued, you know, for... Property, common group, yeah. group of thugs. Yes, is what that you could be sued for are. creating fake Coca-Cola. So you could be sued for creating your own brand of kosher because they literally have a monopoly on that word. They're a group of thugs. And I agree with you on that. I think the, the Rabbanut 
should be completely i don't i don't think for example uh, i'm sorry to have to pull in a point that i feel like we're going to disagree on but i don't think that the nation state law for example is is a pro i don't i think we should define this country as jewish but i don't i agree with you that that, that, that options but no i just think that there's no reason to force it down people's throat i mean i don't think it's about that i think it's about when you have one option and when you have one group doing something when you have a one-party state then it's gonna be bad because competition and diversity creates better solutions um and i think that that really is the situation with albano it's both the ridiculous situation with but also the situation with marriage. And that sort of brings me to my original point of our responsibility as a liberal population. And, you know, growing up religious, this really is something that I personally care about and understand more about than my average non-religious friends who I'll say to them, you know, when they're about to get married, do you know that if you get married in the Lebanon, or even if you get married abroad and then only list yourself as married in the Ministry of Interior in Israel, you will be required to do your divorce through the Lebanon, God forbid you would Which have to they get divorced. Hell out of. And not only will that be a terrible, terrible story, you know, nobody wants to get divorced, but even if you and your husband or soon to be ex husband will agree on everything, it's still common knowledge that men will get the upper hand in the patriarchal rule that the Lebanon enforces. And this isn't because of the rule of the halacha. Okay, Jews are, I would even say, notoriously creative with the way that they shape and reshape the rules. And that sort of is the story of our people of sort of using the rules as a creative textbook for shaping our society as it changes over time. And the Lebanon, unfortunately, has absolutely no motivation to secure the well-being of women in marriage. Why? Why? Because they're a monopoly. They can do whatever they want. And that includes... why do they... Do they hold this worldview? So I'll rephrase that. Um, the Jewish law does, in fact, have an asymmetry between men and women when it comes to marital responsibilities and what happens in a divorce. Um, that is something that has been true for generations. However, throughout the generations, um, there have been creative solutions. And just like there are still creative solutions that are enforced for you know, Shemitah, and we don't go around stoning people who are gay here in Israel because we don't take the rule of law, of Jewish law, that seriously, but we do take it seriously enough and lack creativity in solving problems to enable women to be stuck in marriages, in halachic marriages, because the Rabbanut will enable the husband to keep the woman captive um, because he doesn't consent to the divorce, so she gets to be stuck in the marriage yeah. until forever while he is, you know, going on and marrying a different woman because that is viable, mm-hmm. while he is extorting her for money or for custody or simply to torment her. And those are things that are enabled in modern day Israel. So you really don't need to go as far as to talk about patriarchy in the various Arab communities in Israel. You can just look at modern-day Israel. This is not far in this. They're both very close. But that is what I'm saying. But this affects the non-religious population as well. And this is where the non-religious population just assumes it's, it's, it that it doesn't affect us. them. When an Arab shoots, when Arab shoots in Yafo, and you have shootings in Yafo every other day, it also affects me. If, and if they're chasing, and, and if they're chasing uh, the, a sister or, or, or a brother that wants to become a transvestite, and they w- want to murder him for that. Yeah, it's transvestite. If they're chasing a, a daughter who uh, went out in Belsheva and uh, might have possibly dated a anyway. My, I, I, in the, f- to me, in the end of the day, these are uh, we're talking about parts of these communities. They are savages. And they come from from culture of, of like primitive cultures. These are primitive cultures that that treat women like garbage because the, it's their tradition. And That's so, a really convenient narrative for just absolving yourself from responsibility for what happens what in Israel. It's what you I were, think. Isn't it? It, what, it helps similar to, to take responsibility. When I recognize this problem, it helps me to now I can see what I can do about it. Yes, yeah, sorry, Eitan. No, no, no. It's fine. I, I'm. I'm just saying, I think, I mean, it's similar to what you're saying about the Haredi community, that like they're, they have a patriarchal, which by the way, we should talk about patriarchy, but I think it's another time biology, but anyway, 
we power struggles of biology oh god yeah it's basically the apps it's biology it's a biology in the absence of freedom right so if you don't have freedom men are stronger than women and men are going to uh, take advantage of that strength and if there's freedom if there's real freedom and freedom is protected then you won't have but i don't think i wouldn't call that, it patriarchy. okay but that's exactly the point of patriarchy is an indication of a society that isn't yet free and don't we all agree that no, we'd because like I think, I think more liberties in our society? I think patriarchy tries to point at the natural uh, role of uh, of men in society as a problem, as some culturally structured, uh, culturally built thing. Like men are stronger. Men are thanks to men, Western civilization is protected, and and I think that that's not a bad thing. I think that the the hierarchy of biology is a good thing it's something i mean i don't know if it's a good thing it's just the way the world is and it's it's what allowed so that's exactly it i just i don't take the saying that's just the way the world is because i genuinely believe that we have the responsibility and the opportunity to build the world as we see it fit and a world that is free that is equal that is safe for everyone i really hope we can agree on that i i do but I think that the, the the patriarchy is it tries to be painted as this bad thing when millions upon millions of young men died to protect the freedom and they were men. And I think that there was a reason they were men, because men are strong, men defend and, and men go out to war. I mean that's declare a, war. That sucks for Men us. Men also declared war. It sucks for us, but it's our job in this in this world and, and, and we go out and what do you mean declare war? Thank God they declare war on 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 powers like on Nazi other Germany. men, on other men who formed. Yeah, but but Nazi that's what Germany. I'm saying. Evil exists, so you're gonna have to have good men to fight bad men. It's just the way of the world. This is an Avengers movie. Like where where did this come from? I wish the world was like the Avengers movies, where a couple of superheroes would come in and say, "But millions dissipating and millions and millions of men have to die to to to." to to, to protect Western civilization and the values of freedom. And I don't think that that's a... That's a, a very American view. Are you sure you've made Aliyah? I've made Aliyah. I think it's... Not uh, in the head, apparently. Yeah, because let, let's like reshape that. We live in a tiny country where really weird things happen and we have a ridiculously unique opportunity to influence those things. So just to give you an example... And okay. yes, I'm absolutely shifting the conversation away from that very strange monologue about like men which was heard it was heard <laughs> yeah we hear you Eitan. um <laughs> anyway so in israel there is one main radio station that everyone listens to it is the military radio station i know telling this in english sounds ridiculous but when you say this to someone in hebrew they'll be like yeah of course of course i listen to galgalats they have the best music and in that radio station big surprise not many women make it to the playlist and that is where cultural tastes are formed. And that is where not really the money making. OK, it's not like where the hipster people listen to music, but it is at the end of the day. What will decide whose shows will be sold out, who will sell albums, who will be invited by municipalities to perform for Independence Day, who will be paid 50,000 shekels for that performance, who will be paid 100,000 shekels for that performance. And when we see, again, a lagging indicator, there was a poll. One second. So when we see as a lagging indicator that women don't make it to that list, then we look back and say, who are these people who are making these choices? Who are these people who are making assumptions about what will be fun and interesting and cool for the Israeli listener to listen to? You missed one point. The list was done via an, an Internet poll. That's the whole point of the story. And this brings me back to... The list was... There was an Internet poll. Who are the best singers for 2019? the public voted and the entire top was men, right? I'm getting it right? Yes and no, because I'm not actually talking about the annual, you know, who gets into the list for the nominations for the annual uh, best songs, but who gets played throughout the year? Because obviously when people online are going to be voting for their favorite songs of 2019, they're not going to remember that song that the editor didn't choose to play. Yeah. Well, okay. If and closed... that is sort of how we try to make that change because we 
shed a very big spotlight on all these women artists who are not played yeah. as often, who are not, you know, whose stories aren't told as often. And this sort of leads me to actually something that I see a lot um, in my profession. I work for a startup company and it's very commonly known that there is very, very big bias, both in recruitment, in tech and in VC money that sort of you're taking a risk on someone. And the easiest way to minimize your risk is to focus, to use your biases, to use your prior knowledge and to say, okay, here's a candidate that looks good to me. Why does this candidate look good to me? Because they went to a university that I recognize. They went to an army unit that I recognize. They, you know, they, they have the life experience that seems familiar to me. And all of these things may be legit, but you're going to disqualify people who've had different paths than you have. And kind of in the same way, we just keep creating more of the same. And whether that's in music and whether that's in film and whether that's in representation in our government, if we keep acting according to these priors and according to these biases and not sort of shaking things up, yeah, we're going to have more of the same, more of the same wonderful wars that you talk about. I don't know. I'm not nostalgic about World War II. I don't want to go back there. Don't know about you. Maybe no, this is controversial. I never, I never said the war was wonderful. I said the fact, I, 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 I hope you would agree with me that the men who died are honorable for dying. And I think that it's a good thing that they were willing to go out to war and die for, for okay, Western but, civilization. But how does that have anything to do with women? It has to do with the painting of patriarchy, a patriarchy as some kind of bad thing that men are, are, are I'm not saying men society. are bad. No, but what is patriarchy? What is Define it for us. No, I, I, I wasn't the one that... The ter I, I didn't use the term originally. What is patriarchy? Patriarchy is sort of a linear view of how society should be built, of who should get power, of who should be heard, and of how we should each adhere to our gendered roles. Okay, and meaning that men should get power and men should, men should be... get power women should not get power men should be masculine should not be allowed to show emotion should be aggressive women should be should men not be aggressive should be and subservient masculine? i'm not saying that anyone shouldn't be anything i'm saying we should all have more options well i, I think it's good that men are aggressive and 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 are, are powerful i think if if they weren't meaning i don't i don't think it's necessarily good again i think it's the way the world is and if we say to our men i just that, like to say to our listeners that it doesn't sound like it but he's quite young i'm not that young i'm 30 but <laughs> it's all a matter of perspective um i would say that if if his soul our is men, very ancient if our Apparently. men if our men are not uh aggressive and are not powerful and are not dominant then there will be other men that will be powerful and dominant and aggressive and willing to take advantage of And you're of basing that. this on, oh, that, on that, history. That's on history. Yeah. Exactly my point. I would like well, to believe... You know what? Not on history. No, on present on today. On, on today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would ISIS, like to believe... Iran, Afghanistan, that there Iraq, are, Russia, I'd China. like to believe that there are better options out there. I'd like to believe there that are. if we enable people more options for who to be and i don't want to talk about geopolitics and gender roles i just want to say you know when a kid in preschool cries it doesn't matter if it's a boy or girl it's okay you can go and give them a hug and we should have more options not only for women but also for men i want to wrap things up by asking a i yes. want to talk about the rabbanut again so we can finish okay. on an agreement <laughs> sure no i'm kidding i want to ask a yes and no question yes or no question okay for each of you i don't you. believe in yes and no questions oh god i don't think the world is binary i think things are complicated well, i'm a yes man <laughs> so i only believe in i'll yes. ask the question and you guys do whatever you want okay a girl let's let's put aside the ultra orthodox and the arab society a girl who's born in israel in 2020 who is not orthodox or Arab, does she get good opportunities? And does she have the chance to become whoever she wants to in life? Eitan, you start. A girl who's born in an ultra-orthodox? Not... In, oh, Sorry. God. <laughs> I wasn't listening. No. Put <laughs> you said go. He's, he still, he's still thinking about the war analogy. <laughs> like, if you, man, if you, tell put, me about men. Put the aside. Beer put went through him and I really have to okay. pee, but go. <laughs> put, put, aside, put aside ultra-orthodox yeah. and the Arab societies for yeah. a second. A girl who's born not to one of these societies in, in Israel, Israel, does she get good opportunities 
and can does she have a good chance to become whatever she wants if she has if she has the talent and the merit absolutely I really hope that we have a genuine meritocracy in which we only judge people by their talents and abilities and skills and not by their background so now you're saying it's not a today do we live in a meritocracy no we don't okay I there's think... a lot of protection in Israel you know you can take that as a good thing you could take that no, as absolutely. a bad thing yeah that's I agree true. I agree with that I think that you can rise above because I, I believe if in, you're good in, in, it just requires a lot more it yes. just requires a lot more it requires a lot but I think that I believe in the individual and I believe in the individual's power to rise above and I think that we have a lot to work to, we'll I work believe to in the individual's great. power to rise above but in the same way I believe in the individual's responsibility to enable others who are less privileged than, than themselves fair enough I think I think a girl who's born in these circumstances has has a good chance but to you, do no one asked you. Well, I said <laughs> no, we all get to answer. <laughs> okay, fine. So I, I accept your answer. Now I'm just going to hold on the conversation that you can suffer and not no. pee. That's my revenge. <laughs> so what can we plug before we go? Um, we are a volunteer-led conversation. Um, organization. See, now it's just here <laughs> affecting me second hand. Um, we are a volunteer-led organization. Um, and we're constantly crowdfunding to be able to... Crowdfunding and fundraising to be able to tell more stories both um, personal perspectives, investigative journalism, um, online social media stuff. So we would really love your contributions um, and to hear your voices. So we'll include links in the description. You can also Google um, PC with an S, like P dot C-S-E-E. Um, C-S-E-E? No. Uh, P, P dot, dot S-E-E. Correct. Yeah, that's okay. a tongue twister. Yeah. Um, Props if clever. you can figure that out and if you can pronounce it. But my we'll, name. we'll put you links. have an English website. We have an English website. We will soon have a newer website, which will be even cooler, but you're already welcome to check it out. Okay. You want to go to the bathroom and I'll do the. Yeah. Okay, bye. Uh, so <laughs> before we go, <laughs> before we go, we have a collaboration with the Jewish Journal. Uh, they're at jewishjournal.com. It's an amazing news outsource in English, so check them out. We also collaborate with Arutz Sheva. They're at israelnationalnews.com where you can get also interesting pieces in English about Israel and we accept donations guys so please help us out go to twingb.com slash donate and that is it Yara thank you thank you for having me bye bye bye